Hey there, welcome to the Student to CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Mason. We're talking to entrepreneurs who launched their business at a young age, and they're now killing the game. Tune in to our episodes as these guests spill the dirt on taking that leap into entrepreneurship just like they did. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Student to CEO podcast. Joining us today is Ted Harrington. Ted is the author of Hackable, How to Do Application Security Right, and the executive partner partner at Independent Security Evaluators, the company of ethical hackers famous for hacking cars, medical devices, web applications, and password managers. He's helped hundreds of companies fix tens of thousands of security vulnerabilities, including Google, Amazon, and Netflix. Ted has been featured in more than 100 media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, and Forbes. His team founded and organizes IoT Village, an event whose hacking contest is a three-time DEF CON Black Badge winner. Welcome, Ted. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here. Absolutely. I'd love if you could start off by sharing with our listeners what you do and what led you there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned where I am now and that I, <laughs> I run this, uh, this company of ethical hackers and, and I'm an author and I speak professionally about everything that we've learned from sort of the front lines. Um, but this is, that's certainly not where I started. Um, my, I guess my story arc began in college and that's when I, I guess my story arc started before college, but college is when I started my first company and that company was essentially, I like to make it sound fancier than it is. I call it an events logistics platform, but really what it was, was I just, I saw a problem, which was my fellow students wanted to get to certain events like sporting events or festivals and things like that. And they wanted it to be easy to get there. And they wanted to, of course, you know, be able to drink and stuff like that. And so I just created a company to solve that problem for them. And um, we would essentially rent buses and buy the tickets and do the whole thing. And so that's, you know, that's how I started. And I found through the course of that, that that wasn't a fulfilling career for me after uh, running it for about three years. Um, when I graduated, I decided to go and actually work with somebody who could mentor me. And so I joined a small, very entrepreneurial company and got so much hands-on mentorship with the um, a very successful entrepreneur. The CEO was trying to step back from operations and wanted to mentor. And so I got a a lot of years working with him, maybe five or six years. And then my next stop was I became the CEO of a a company that has technology that saves water and irrigation lines. And after doing that for a short period of time, that was when I was connected with who has now become my business partner and for the last, going on almost a decade now, we have been running this company of, uh, of ethical hackers. So it's been a bit of a journey to get here. And each step of the way, I've, I've learned something. And I, I think the key insight that I would recommend to anyone listening is to find your principles. You know, each, each step along the way revealed a principle to me. And those guiding principles really they help me make my decisions about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to spend my time. And um, it can be frustrating, right? As you're wanting to pursue a path to entrepreneurship or to being CEO or whatever your goal is. Um, But know that in that struggle along the path, 
you're identifying those things that are going to help you succeed in that path. Incredible. So it sounds like your first company is kind of like the idea for Uber pool, basically before that was a thing, getting people together on the buses. I hadn't thought about it like that. Uh, <laughs> As you're saying, I'm yes. like, you know what? Uber pool. <laughs> <laughs> Uber, Uber bus is what it was. <laughs> So I know that you mentioned too, that you had kind of gotten to, into your own entrepreneurial spirit with this company, but then made the decision to work for someone else, which did provide you with great mentorship. But what was kind of that adjustment like? How did you kind of come to that decision that you wanted to put the pause on your own entrepreneurial endeavors for a little bit and work with someone else instead? Well, I wouldn't say that I, that was me putting pause on my entrepreneurial pursuit. That was me. Uh, I realized that there was a lot I needed to learn. And the decision that I made was the way I wanted to learn it was from working directly underneath someone who had done it. And, um, you know, in hindsight, I can I could probably debate whether or not that was the right choice. You know, should I learn by just starting a different company or or what? But the transition was difficult. I mean, I never, I never wanted to work for anybody else. I had this, this funny story my mom always tells to mostly embarrass me, but also I think is pretty indicative of who I am. Uh, when I was a junior in college, I remember I was home for, from, I can't remember which break it was, but I was home on one of the you know, winter break maybe. And she said, you know, we're going to have to talk about getting you a suit soon. And I sort of thought about that for a second, and I said, why? And she said, well, you'll need a suit to go on job interviews. And so I thought about that for a second, and I said, no, I won't, <laughs> because I'm never going to work for somebody. <laughs> and so I, I think for me, the adjustment was really that um, I had to, because I knew there were things that I wanted to learn, and I wanted to learn them from someone who's done it, I knew that I needed to sort of swallow that maybe that hubris a little bit of I'm never going to work for somebody else. I'm always going to do it on my own. And, um, and I do think that it was a good decision because of what I did learn. And I mean, certainly if I look at where I am in my career now, um, I, I can't say that it didn't work, <laughs> that it didn't pay right. off, but definitely changing my mindset a little bit was, was part of that transition. Absolutely. And I think that's excellent advice that you give. And it's something that actually a few of our previous podcast guests have shared that the whole idea of learning from someone who has the the business that you one day want to own. And so I think it's an incredibly valuable kind of situation and journey to go through by being able to learn directly from someone who does have that business that you own, want to own one day and who can actually really teach you the ropes and be able to guide you to where you're meant to be. Yeah. And in a interesting way, um, there is a void I feel in my life that I fill in different ways, but that void is that, that mentorship that you get when, um, you know, when you're a more junior employee working at a company, even though in my case, I was working directly with the founder and CEO and I was like learning from him every day. Uh, still, you know, now it's, it's, I, I have to get mentorship now in different ways. And I still seek mentorship all the time. Um, I think what I have not found yet and what I'm certainly striving to find is that maybe that mentor who's 20 or 25 years ahead of me in their career. Uh, so I don't necessarily have that person that I lean on on maybe a monthly basis or whatever, but I get mentorship in many other ways. I get mentorship from certainly my business partner. I mean, 
the guy challenges me to be better every day and I learn from him so mm -hmm. much. Even the people that work for me and work for our company, I feel that I learn from them all the time and, and books. You know, I read a lot because the world's wisdom is written down. And uh, as much as you might wanna get it verbally from someone who is mentoring you, if you don't have that, you can certainly get a lot of it from a book. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought up mentorship too, because I actually just had a very similar conversation with someone yesterday who was facing the same thing. She's a fellow entrepreneur and she feels like she doesn't really know where to find a mentor. Because like you said, when you go into a nine to five, it's kind of something natural that happens, but more so if you're an entrepreneur who especially works by yourself, it's kind of like not necessarily unnatural, but it takes a little bit more extra work to find that right person for you. Yeah, no doubt. You, you definitely have to go find it. And, and it is not easy. And one thing that I haven't, I think, figured out yet is how to even necessarily go ask that person who's 20 or 25 years ahead of me. Um, but I, I do know that those people are out there. There is someone out there right now who's like, man, I would love to mentor someone like Ted who's coachable and driven and you know already achieved things but wants to achieve more. I know that person's out there because I'm already that person. I want to mentor someone else. Yes. And that person has to be out there. I just haven't found them. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. I know that for me, luckily, I did end up finding mentors through clients pretty much because outside of student to CEO, I own a marketing agency. And so one of the things that I do is I actually work with other marketing agencies to help their clients. So it's been kind of nice to be in that situation to actually see how bigger firms work on the day-to-day -day basis and actually take some of their strategies and processes and adapt it into my own business and stuff like that. But you're right, just kind of going ahead and trying to find that right person to start that relationship can be really hard. It's just the whole point of getting started. Yep, indeed. And Ted, while you were starting your business, this could even be when you were starting your business in college or the businesses that you have now, what was the most difficult part of starting it while young? Uh, having absolutely no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that... So I'm saying that in jest, but that is actually a real answer. But the the thing that stops most people from entrepreneurship is fear. And and frankly, that actually is true about pretty much anything that's hard and worth doing. Um, writing a book, which you know, I I have a book that I that just committing to writing a book and hitting all those milestones. There's so much fear at each step. And entrepreneurship is, is like that too. And so a lot of people will combine the fact that there's fear with they have no idea what they're doing. And that is what stops people from entrepreneurship. And I, I can give you a perfect example of me having no idea what I was doing. You know, in this, this, that company that I started in college, there was one event where I got wind through the rumor mill that people were like mad at me. And I didn't really understand why. And the rumor that was coming back to me was people were saying things like, oh, Ted, he's such a, he's, he's uh, taking advantage of his friends, trying to make money off his friends or whatever. And I'm like, wait, what? And what I realized that I had failed to do was I was running a business, but I really didn't position it as a business. Um, mm. Like I didn't name the business. I didn't create a website. I didn't 
even tell people that it was a business. And that wasn't because I was hiding anything. It's just because it didn't register to me that that was the important thing. To me, what registered to me, the important thing was there's a problem. I know how to solve it. I'm going to go solve it. And I did. But it, I didn't put the framing around it, didn't communicate it. And so people were upset that I was profiting. But they wouldn't be upset if it had been a business. If they understood like, oh, this is, you know, te- you know bus pool or whatever, you know, the name had been mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, it's a business. Of course, it's supposed to make money. Um, but when they thought that I was charging a premium and, and scraping the top, the, the, the way that they perceived it, got people really upset. And that to me, that was a really good learning experience to realize now I think, I think I'm very good at marketing and communication and positioning. But it all started with having absolutely no idea what I was doing or why that might even be a problem. And so that kind of, that wasn't a fun experience to go through. That sort of wounded me emotionally, I think, at the time. Yeah. I think like, wait, why are people getting mad at me about, I'm taking enormous risk here to do this. But it's definitely served me through the course of my career. Absolutely. And I love the, the fact that you mentioned that fear is what stops people most in entrepreneurship because it's kind of like this paralyzing feeling where no matter what you want to do, you're always going to be able to think of some type of excuse that stops you from moving forward with what you really want to do. And so I know that that's something that so many people can relate to. So what would you say your advice is in terms of getting past that fear, no matter what you may be fearful of in in entrepreneurship? I did this incredible exercise with my publisher when I was in the process of committing to writing my book. And uh, before doing this exercise, I actually didn't realize that fear was what stops a lot of authors, but I, I certainly learned it after. But they, my publisher walked me through this exercise that was very simple in concept but so powerful once you did it. And it was basically, there were, I had a spreadsheet and there were a few columns in the spreadsheet. And the first column was essentially write down all of the things that you're afraid could happen if you, if you move forward with this. And so that was where I was able to write down things like, um, write a bad book. Like that is a fear. What if I go through all this and it's a bad book or people, somehow try to cut me down because now my persona is more elevated or what if I'm wrong in, in what I write in the book? And so you basically you write down all of these different fears. And then the next column is you write down what's the worst thing that happens if that fear materializes. And so now you realize, okay, well maybe some of these fears aren't quite that bad. I mean, writing a bad book, that would actually be pretty bad for me in terms of, the, the whole point of writing a book, well, one of the points of writing a book is, of course, to establish credibility and authority and all that stuff. Right. Well, you would do the opposite. But is that something that would forever permanently damage my ability to succeed? Not really. And so for each one of those fears, you, you, associate, you define what would be the worst case. And then the third column is you define how likely is that worst case to happen. And then the column after that is you define... What do you, uh, what can you do to avoid that bad outcome from happening? So my fear for uh, writing a bad book, the, the action I could take is write a good book. <laughs> and so it was something that was so, uh, the weight lifted off my shoulders when I looked at that and I said, oh, okay, I've identified the fear. It's not this murky, uncertain thing. I now see what it looks like and I know exactly what to do. So now the question is, Okay, I have to write a good book. 
So now all I have to do from there is determine, well, what does it take to write a good book? And now I can start taking action on it rather than living in this unpleasant fear. I can say, well, I know what I need to do to make that fear go away. And I just go, go start taking those actions. And that served me so incredibly well in the writing process to where I think I did write a good book. Um, I mean, we'll see once you know, people react to it and what, <laughs> what the sales look like and reviews, but hopefully I wrote a good book. And at least I knew what I had to do. And that was how I neutralized the fear. I love that. And I am so glad that you brought it up because I actually have a client who teaches something extremely similar. It's that whole idea of identifying what you're scared of, thinking about what could happen if the worst possible situation happened, and then imagining how you'd re how you would react or what you could do to actually stop it from happening in the first place. And so, like you said, it's like, we almost have to talk ourselves down and really kind of take a step back and say, okay, it's actually not as bad as what we would think. So I think that's excellent advice that you gave for people who are kind of fearful about any part in their entrepreneurship journey. Definitely. And on the opposite end of that, in terms of the difficult part of starting your business while young, what was the most rewarding? creating something out of nothing. I mean, looking at, I mean, certainly solving a problem, right? There was a problem. I knew how to solve it. And so I did, but the, the idea that through a combination of time and credit card debt, that I could combine those two things to create something that didn't exist. That's still, I mean, even though it was on a smaller scale than the business that I run today, that's still incredibly inspiring to me, even though I did it, I'm like inspired by the fact that as a, uh, uh, perhaps overly confident <laughs> young man that I would, <laughs> that I would go do that. And that's, that is how I started the company. You know, I didn't have, I was a college student. I didn't have any money. Um, I didn't, I didn't actually even consider trying to go raise money. I just wanted to go solve the problem. And so what I did was I essentially calculated, figured out how much would it cost to do this? And then what margin would I need to have on top of that in order to make the risk and effort worth it? And that's, and then the resulting price that I'd have to charge for this, do I think that's something that would be palatable in the marketplace? And that all checked out. And so basically what I did was I opened up a credit card and for all these events, I just booked all the stuff on credit. So I, you know, bought all the tickets. I bought everything that, um, I of course booked the buses all of the other miscellaneous stuff that goes with running a trip like this, I paid for it all on credit. So each one of these trips, I'd, I'd rack up probably like 10 grand wow. uh, in debt, which in hindsight is like, I had no fail state. There was, if that, if I couldn't pay that off, if I didn't sell these tickets, I was sunk, right? Yeah. But I had the confidence that I'd be able to, to, you know, go through with it. And that was where, you know, before when I was mentioning how I was all frustrated that people are getting upset, I'm like, I have no money and I just went $10,000 into debt in order to solve a problem for you. Why are you? <laughs> exactly. <pregnant>? Perspective. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great that you mentioned it though, because it really is awe inspiring to think about the fact that any one of us who is creating a business, we, like you said, created something out of nothing. And that is a really powerful thought to have and realize. Yeah. It's, it's the, the fun part for sure. It wouldn't, if you didn't do it, and this is what I would say to any listener uh to the show if you don't do it it won't exist and let that sit with you right you see a problem you know how to solve it 
Are you going to allow someone to continue to suffer without that problem being solved? And it's okay if the answer is yes, because that problem is not important enough to solve. That's okay. But if you know how to do it, and the only thing between you actually solving that problem and helping those people is just starting, mm. then go do it. Take the leap. I love it. And you sound like someone who is totally multi-passionate. So do you find that you have all of these different ideas that you really want to pursue with different businesses, or do you kind of stay on the main course? I like that word, multi-passionate. <laughs> I don't, I've never heard that. I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. I have ideas all the time, uh, including a lot of really bad ideas. I think that's how you get to good ideas actually is by uh, having bad ideas. But I try to, when I was younger and, and earlier in my sort of journey, it's, I looked at it from, I think the, I looked at it from the point of view first of a company what's a company i could start and what would be something that somebody wants and etc and of course in that is what's the problem but now i focus a lot more on the problem mm. what's the problem and can i solve it and then i have a whole bunch of criteria to think about whether or not it's worth investing my time into doing something and i've definitely learned along the way that it's it's a lot harder to succeed doing two things part of the way than one thing the whole way Right. And so all those factors sort of go into my decision making. But yeah, I have I I'm I'm inspired by things I want to go do all the time. And it's just a matter of having the sort of restraints and the wherewithal to realize what you should do and what you should say no to, which you should say no actually to most things. That's a great point. And I know that for me too, I'm the same way where it's like, I come up with all these ideas all the time and I'm like, okay, just need to focus on the one thing that's going really well for now. And then I can start to add on more once schedules open up and time and everything like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And with your businesses that you've had and throughout your career, what do you think led to your success? What do I think led to my success? Well, there are a few things, but I think that the the common thread through all of them is this desire to be better. Um, when I wrote this book, uh, my book's called Hackable, and it's I wrote it for technology leaders, like people who are responsible for the security of their software. So you know, we're we're chatting right now via software, and there's a company that makes this software. And so those types of the people who are responsible for security at those types of companies, this is who I wrote that book for. And the reason that I wanted to write the book was I wanted to help those people do security better because I want to do things better myself. Mm. And when I look at all the different decisions that I've made along the way, that has been one of the guiding principles for sure. Um, I've actually identified four guiding principles in my life, but the one, uh, one of them in particular that we're talking about right now is this desire to be better every day. And when I was evaluating whether to write this book, I wanted to write a book basically my whole life, but when I was evaluating whether to write it now, you know, when I, last summer when I started it, uh, the, the evaluation, the, I guess the assessment that I was doing is would writing this book help me be better? Would it help my company be better? Would it help the people I'm trying to help solve their problems be better? And when the answer was yes to all of those, it really became sort of a no-brainer. 
to, to go for it. And then the next step was of course, you know, figuring out how to actually make time to write a book, which is its own, uh, definitely its own challenge. But now here I am about 18 months later, the book comes out, you know, just in a few weeks. And I look at all of the ways that I'm better as a communicator, as a leader, as a security professional, as a professional speaker. I mean, it's like every single part of my life that has been prioritized is now improved because I did this thing. And that is something that I would recommend to anybody as you're thinking about in your career, wherever it is you're trying to go, evaluate how can whatever the decision that you're making, how will it make you better when you're done? Because if you're constantly getting better, first of all, you're different from like 99% of the world. Most people coast. But if you're constantly getting better, the delta between you and everyone else will only continue to expand. So that's number one. And then number two, you'll be better. (laughs) I mean, I compare myself to like five years ago or 10 years ago. I'm so much better now. And although I'm certainly not asking for the relentless advancement of time, I'm not trying to get older. uh, At the same time, I know that 10 years from now, I'm going to be so much more capable even than I am today. I love it. And just that whole concept of thinking about what you can do today to be better. And so one follow-up question that I have to that is, because I know I'm guilty of this, is and how do you kind of, even though you want to be better, how do you still keep yourself grounded in the moment, so to say? So instead of always thinking about what you need to accomplish next, how do you take that time to actually think about where you are today and be like, wow, I've actually done some really cool things so far, rather than kind of thinking about what that next step is? That's, that's not just a good question. That's an, a really important question because if you didn't do what you were just suggesting, if, if one did not do what you were just suggesting, then what would happen would be one would never be fulfilled because if all we're trying to do is march to the next step, we don't actually appreciate that we are already in the next step of the step we were you know previously. Right. And so the way that... I'm very cognizant of that uh, and the way that I address that, there are a few, but one is certainly practicing gratitude and different people will practice gratitude differently. Um, But for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's sort of what it sounds like. It's taking time to acknowledge the things that you're grateful for in your life. And in practicing gratitude, that will help you recognize the things that you have achieved and so me, I, I practice gratitude in a couple different ways. One way I call, uh, I refer to this as a gratitude anchor. And um, I might have invented that term. I hope I did because I like it. I don't <laughs> you know should trademark it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to. But a gratitude, the way, what I think about a gratitude anchor is a time in the day or a moment in the day or even something that you look at or touch or some, some anchor that is where every day that's where you express gratitude. Mm. And so I try to do that when I get done with a run. There's a particular building that's um, near my building that I think is really pretty. And I look at it and I, and I express the things I'm grateful for that day. Uh, and I usually run in the morning. So I exp- try to express gratitude in the morning. And then at the end of the day, when I get into bed and I'm sort of uh, decompressing, getting ready to go to sleep, I'll, I'll practice gratitude again and I'll replay the day and I'll think about the things that I was really happy about or inspired about um, and just try to recognize I'm so fortunate to be where I am in my life and the people I have in my life, the things I have in my life, the things I get to do. 
And all of those are a result of the decisions that I made years, you know, in the preceding months, years, et cetera. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because literally no lie, as of this morning, I had started journaling my gratitude. So it's just so ironic because I, I'm reading a book right now. And that's one of the things that they mention is just having a gratitude list and thinking about what you're grateful for in this moment. And like you said, even this, just this first morning that I did it, I already noticed a difference. And so I think it's so important for other people to really start to adapt that into their daily routines moving forward. I love it. Yep. Gratitude journals, the way to go, man. And if there was one thing that you wish you did differently or one thing, you know, now that you wish you knew then what would it be and why? There are a lot of things that <laughs> I could have done better earlier. Uh, but one might be to write a book earlier. I'm, I'm certainly not disappointed that I wrote this book now. Uh, I do not feel that I waited too long to write a book. But now that I've written a book, I've seen the ridiculously, rid and I mean ridiculously powerful benefits that come from writing a book. And... You know, why is it that me as someone in my, you know, uh, mid to late thirties, why should I, why should I be the only person, you know, why can't a 20 something or even teenager accumulate some of those same benefits? And the thing that actually prevents a lot of people from writing a book fear, obviously we already talked about, but, but another is that they don't think that they have the insight or wisdom to teach somebody something. And I felt that way too. And my plan all along was that I knew I was going to write a book someday. And what I intended I was going to do was write the book about how I sold a company and give the insights of like, here's the how to, you know, here's how we did it. Here's the decisions we made along the way. Here's what we got right. Here's what we got wrong. Here's what you should do. And I still will write that book in the future. Uh, but that doesn't mean I didn't have wisdom now. I mean, I, have, I know... I spend every day looking at how hackers exploit companies and how, mm -hmm. you know, we all see these headlines, right, of companies getting uh, suffering security breaches. And I know how that happens and I know how to stop it. And it's once I realized that, it started to feel irresponsible not to share it. And then as I started thinking about that further, then it's like, okay, well, Ted, you've been doing you know, you've been a security consultant for almost a decade at this point. Of course you have enough information now. But then I realized there's all these other things that I know how to do too. I just right. needed the sort of the first step to get me going to it. And so one of the pieces of advice, I have a, a LinkedIn post that I have queued to go out, I think in the next couple of days, that basically says, this is my advice to somebody. Hey, if you're looking to enter a new field, or you're looking for a job right now, or you, there's a company that you want to go work for, or there's whatever the change is, you're trying to go through some sort of change in your life, go write the book that makes you the authority on that thing you're trying to become. Because what that will do is that will force you to research the issues. It will give you a reason to go interview the people that you need to build relationships with in order to make that change. And as a result, you're going to be positioned as the authority on that thing. So you give yourself two years to go make that change. I don't care how aggressive the change is in your career. Two years from today, you could be the authority on that thing and whatever you're trying to change your career into. And so when I was trying to transition into 
um, into technology, you know, transitioning from running more like an events services business. I really wanted to be in technology. It took so long to do that. If someone had given me the advice, hey, Ted, take the next couple years and research and write a book about the type of technology you want to go into, I guarantee you I would have been in technology in probably 80% less time than it took me to do it. That's so interesting. And especially because I just love what you mentioned, just being able to research what you want to get into for the field and then write that book. And then you become that authority figure because I know for me, writing a book has also been something that has been on my list, but I have this fear of like, well, what if I'm not actually an expert? What if the book that I write, if it's about marketing becomes obsolete, if the information is no longer accurate with trends, trends changing and things like that nature. So I just love your advice of kind of encouraging people to think about where they want to be and then doing all that research to help them become the best in the field for it. I think the fears that you mentioned are addressable. I mean, maybe after this, go do that fear exercise. I was, I was telling you <laughs> yes. about, but I mean, even the, the second one you mentioned, right? Will it be, will it be relevant in time? I struggled with that too, mm. right? Uh, people are going to hack systems differently five years from now, even five months from now, they're going to do it differently than they are today. And so what I did to deal with that was rather than giving prescriptive guidance at the sort of the level of like, go log into this tool and then go to this setting. And then, you know, yeah. that doesn't, that isn't helpful, but advising on the principles, right? Like here's how attackers fundamentally operate. Here's how they think. And I think you could do something similar, right? Because what are the five defining principles of marketing? Those maybe the implementation of those principles might change but the principles are unlikely to change anytime soon. And when they do change, all that does is give you a new reason to go write an updated version of the book or a new book. Yes. Uh, and it's only a benefit. I love that. So helpful. I will definitely keep that in mind because like we said, fear is going to hold us back. So might as well just do it. <laughs> exactly. But Ted, now I want to ask you, why do you think it's so important for individuals to start a business at a young age specifically? I'd say the biggest reason is that the, these two conditions change as, as you get older. So uh, one is that when you're young, you're kind of fearless, right? You, you haven't been beaten up by the world yet. <laughs> and the second is you don't really have any commitments yet. Now, as you get older, you start to accumulate commitments. You have a mortgage and a car payment. Uh, you start to have a family. You start to be entrenched in whatever community you live in. Uh, and those commitments, all that they do is make it harder to go, um, to go start. And so essentially your tolerance for the risk that you'd be taking on with starting something new, that tolerance for risk really decreases. Whereas when you're really young, if you start a company and what's, you know, again, let's talk about fear. What's the worst thing that happens? The company goes bankrupt. Like you literally not just go out of business, but you have to file bankruptcy. Let's say that's the worst thing that happens. You can recover from that. I mean, you're still young, right? So if you start your company in your, let's just say your early twenties and you go through that terrible experience, I'll tell you what, you are going to be a better entrepreneur by the time you're in your early thirties than if you didn't start. And you might not start in your early thirties if you didn't uh, go through that sort of difficult process. And so, um, yeah, taking the sort of <clears throat> relative fearlessness, the lack of commitments and the ability that you 
can overcome any downside that might happen if you fail, it's the time to do it for sure. Absolutely. And what you said is so important is just not only having kind of less commitments now as we do when we're older, but also the fact that if we mess up, we still have our entire life ahead of us to be able to make that change and move forward. And what I always like to say is a failure is just a lesson. So learning how you can do it better the next time around. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Ted, this has been such an amazing episode with really, really helpful advice that I know I genuinely enjoyed hearing. So I know our listeners will feel the same, but I'd love to ask that if there was one last piece of advice that you'd like to share for someone who may just be starting out, what would it be? I, we can segue from what you just said about failure. You know, you just, there's some things you simply can't learn without doing it. Um, you know, I mentioned that that water conservation company that I was running and up to that point, you know, I'd, I'd really been studying entrepreneurship. I'd already started a company. Uh, I was getting this tutelage of this amazing mentor for many years and I just needed to dive both feet in. And it seemed like the right solution, solving the right problem at the right time, you know, at that time, California was in a tremendous drought and it seemed like any technology that would save water was going to be a home run. Mm. And the product was really, really cool. It had, you know, it was patented and uh, we were semifinalists on Shark Tank. Like we were one step away from actually getting on the show. So uh, no way. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a cool, cool solution. Uh, we, we wound up not getting on the show, but um, the, the company really just ultimately failed and that was a good experience for me to realize that sometimes it doesn't necessarily even matter how good the product is or how good the solution is or how ready the marketplace is, but all of the factors sort of need to line up. And so I'm glad that I went and did it. Obviously I'm not like anybody, I'm not like excited that I failed, but I learned mm -hmm. from it. And that was, that wound up being a really good uh, stepping stone for me to, because the very next step, the literal very next step after that was what I do now. I launched no, no from way. that into this security consulting company. That's just so immensely fulfilling. And so some, some things you just, you have to go do it. You can't study everything in a book. I do think you should study books, but there's some things you have to go do. So that would be, I think the last piece, just, just go do it. Cause you have to learn it somehow. 100%. And that totally ties into my belief that everything we experience in life, whether good or bad, always leads us closer to where we're meant to be. And I feel like that totally aligns with your situation that you just shared. Uh, yeah, I like it. Ted, I, as I said earlier, you, this has been such a fun episode. And so now I'd love if you could share where our listeners can find you online in case they'd like to connect with you further. Yeah, I think the simplest thing would just be to go to my book's website. It's just hackablebook.com. And there's a wait list you can join there for the book. That book outlines, if for any of you who are in technology, it outlines exactly the advice we give our clients. Um, and then anyone who signs up is going to get you know, a free chapter just for signing up. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to connect with me or ask questions, or even if someone's company needs my, my types of services, all my contact info is right there. So just hackablebook.com is probably the easiest way to uh, keep in touch. Fabulous. And I will put those links in the show notes as well. So that way people can click through in case they miss them. But Ted, thank you so much again for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. This has been great. 
Thanks so much for listening today. I'd love it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with those who could use it most. For show notes and more information, go to studenttoceo.com forward slash podcast.